0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Bob Dylan, thanks for being on the Gary Hour. Is that really you?
2: The darkness at the break of noon. Shadows even the silver spoon. Handmade
0: blade child's balloon
1: yeah smooth so you've stopped playing music are you gonna start again no but how could you be fulfilled as a professional miniature golfer and not even be good at it Isn't that something? well how'd you decide on something so mundane as miniature golf it just came right out of that wellspring of uh, creativity i would think you know? So you're passionate about this mini sport. Yeah. I love the way you hit the ball. The double spin on one leg while screaming in tongues. Uh, th- there's a magic to that. And it's not a uh, Siegfried and Roy kind of magic. You know, it's a, it's a different kind of a penetrating magic. A mini golf soul penetrating magic? Probably. Well, you do seem happy. I really didn't consider myself happy or unhappy. I always knew that there was something out there that I needed to get to. Well, I guess you found your destiny in miniature golf. It's a good feeling. Who's to say how long that's gonna last? <laughs> Welcome to episode 22. What a great episode this is. We talked to Kevin Allison, who you might know from the state comedy troupe on MTV. He's currently the host and creator of the popular podcast, Risk. Risk is a podcast where people tell true stories they wouldn't dare tell in public, but they do. They tell them in microphones with everybody listening. It's a good podcast. Take a risk. All right, man, this is good. You're good. What a good conversation. You're going to need your digital notepads. You're going to need your pencils out for this one because there's so many references and books and things to look up. You might need to pause the podcast and Google some stuff. There's wealth of information here. We talk about the benefits of a good conversation, the importance of connections, letting your friends evolve, giving them the freedom and space to do so, and finding out who that other you is, that person that you talk to all day and night, who is that person? I had a great time. This is a great conversation full of laughs. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. This conversation with me, Matt Kaplan, and Kevin Allison. Yeah!
3: Yeah, I've been uh in the new year, I've been doing the green tea rather than the coffee. That's the
1: healthy move. Yeah. Are
3: you still on the sober train? Still, yeah, still uh still no alcohol. So, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so not
1: completely on the sober train.
3: No, I um I mean I have not outruled marijuana. I you know, my my deal is now don't buy it. Don't, don't own it myself. Right. Just moots. Everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I'm that guy. But, you know, it is, to me, an incredibly, like, uh, much more, I mean, so far, a much more uh, <laughs> uh, practical way to do things. Because what will happen is I'll be on tour. And after a show, you know, I'm kind of emotionally exhausted because the show itself was exhausted. I'm exhausting from traveling. And then the fans kind of want to hang out. And I think it's important to hang out with them. And so to have a little bit of a fans pot is to me, you know, just like, well, what the hell, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's owning pot where I would end up doing it every day. And that just becomes untenable for me. That really gets in the way of my having clarity, having energy, having some sort of feeling of, stability with my emotions and all that
1: so pot was one of those things for you where you couldn't moderate it or just use it when you need
3: it you know i I could definitely moderate it much more easily than alcohol yeah um yeah but I still would end up doing it too often if I owned it. It doesn't have that downward ski slope thing of alcohol where it's like, I could keep drinking forever. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the way that that works is, uh, unfortunately, you you get to be my age, 45, and you realize, oh shit, I've got like, you know, so many things Mm -hmm. that I'm kind of addictive about, you know? (laughs) There's junk food, pot, Alcohol poppers is another one. The uh, gay men sniff these things when they're having sex. And, you know, most most gay men would just have it set aside for, like, when they're actually with someone. No, I started doing that every goddamn day for masturbating. How long does a popper last? It only lasts about maybe 40, 50 seconds. You oh, know? wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- the, that becomes really embarrassing because they're constantly getting lost in the comforter. You know what I mean? You, you you are stopping having sex like every three minutes or so. And going, uh-huh. like, where are the poppers? Where are the poppers? And you really feel like an addict when you're doing that. Yeah, going through couch cushions. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's just, you know, with that, I realized, yes, it really does enhance things. It does make me horny, or it does seem to make things like, you know, I don't know, in the same way that alcohol makes things kind of warm and romantic and fuzzy and all that kind of stuff. But... Uh, it's it's so distracting. It right. so pulls you out of being connected to the person
1: that you're with. I would imagine. Yeah. and do you end up relying on the poppers for the eroticness of
3: it? yeah, it's 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 you know I, I there and and there were I thought that I was a real pig with them, but there are guys who would just like you know, like just take these gigantic poles off of you know, sniffs of this stuff constantly. And it it can, like, it's one of those things that scientists have not really told us, here's what this does to right. you. But it's got to be killing some major brain cells. Yeah, you know? like a yeah. whippet or something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I will, b- because I was doing them for, I don't know, 20 years every day. I mean, I'm sure that sometime in my 60s or 70s, <laughs> I'll have a little bit of a stroke and it'll be like, hey, what caused that? the poppers
2: i I don't know if if, if you're the the right person to ask but i wonder why it never made it over to the straight sex world like why are there certain drugs that like oh gay people use these for sex but straight people we don't need them it
3: is interesting i think it has to do with is our sex lame (laughs) (laughs) well no i think i think it is i think that that it feels good dirty you know poppers feel dirty now huh. the, now the reputation that they have is that they loosen your your sphincter you know what i mean okay so, right but that's really just like a wives tale that's not what gets people hooked to them because got you know if you go to a sex club Guys are just making out and mm-hmm. sniffing poppers. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it's clearly like what what gets it to stick with people is just that it's a rush. It's literally the most famous brand is called Rush. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so no, I think that I think that one of the reasons it, it hasn't stuck with straight people is because probably women have a sort of. Um, uh, more refined effect on how sex is gone about, you know? And I I would say, I would think that they would be a little bit like, uh that's a little gross and kind of getting in the way. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> well, let's ease into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas gay men are, are I, you know, I have had I, sex with guys before who have said to me, you need too many enhancements, you know, uh. between having to wear a cock ring or wanting to put on some nipple clamps or needing this kind of lube and yada. And I admit, you know, I, I, I all that kind of stuff can, can get very habit forming. Right. Um, So you build up a tolerance and all of a sudden you need all this stuff. Absolutely. And then to, to consistently be drunk or stoned also makes it harder to have an erection, which makes you want to have a tighter, uh, conquering. I mean, it's all, you know, like I am just an all or nothing kind of guy and one thing tends (laughs) to lead to the next, you know? So in my latter half of my life you know i'm i'm about to turn 46 in february mm-hmm. i just want to start trying to cultivate more positive habits right. than negative ones you know habits like meditation yeah I, I, I got I bought some yoga pants. <laughs> all right, you're fine now.
1: <laughs> you're, you're, you've practically done all the yoga you
2: can do. Yeah, yeah. I bought the pants. <laughs> <laughs> Have I, you taken the tag off the pants? Yet? No, I know they are still, still in the bag. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the med- meditation can really uh, increase your sensitivity to
3: things. I think so. I th- I I mean, my goal is, and also, it's another like in order to maintain a good meditation practice, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, drinking or smoking pot all the time is not going to help that, no. you know? Yeah. Because meditation is, as far as I've experienced it so far, about kind of uh, letting the brain calm the mind, you know, with, with the, all the you know rush of thoughts and emotions, kind of slow down a little bit, and connect to something, I don't know, still and clear and kind of unruffled, you know? Yeah, the way Eckhart, do you ever read any Eckhart Tolle? I Holy. have not actually, no. He puts
1: it in a neat way. It's like uh, we're always in a conversation with ourselves and how he came to meditation was he's, he, one day he was like, who is that person I'm talking to? Yeah. And that to him is meditation, getting in touch with that person that you're always talking to inside of yourself.
3: Yeah. There's an, a fascinating book called Radiant Mind. Mm-hmm. Um it's an English guy wrote it, but he, he he's all about like getting to know that person and then obliterating that. That going beyond the person you're in conversation with. And getting to know the nothing. <laughs> right. Well, who is that other person? Are you do, are you
1: supposed to obliterate the person that's talking to the other person, or do you obliterate the other person?
3: Well, I don't know that obliterate is the word that he would use. More like unify? Yeah, I think so. The, well, that's, that's how I tend to think of it so mm-hmm. far, is you know, David Lynch described it as, he was talking specifically about transcendental meditation, that... Uh, There is a unified field according to quantum physicists, right? Mm -hmm. This is like kind of the base of the creative energy in the universe. And the way that quantum physicists often describe it is as it's kind of like that still energy at the bottom of the ocean right? rather than on the surface. So David Lynch says that he, he feels like what you're doing when you meditate is it, you, you're normally on the surface where all the waves are crashing and seagulls and you're listening to voices and yada, yada. And then when you meditate, you kind of sink down and you're closer then to that big mind that... Yeah. that the big other (laughs) Um, to which you are ultimately made up of, you know?
1: Well, when they do brain scans of like Zen monks, for example, it, there, it will read almost like they're dead. It's like a flat line. And most probably are an average New Yorker. It's like crazy waveforms everywhere.
3: Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I am one of those people who, you know, I, it it really is interesting to ask who am i talking to because sometimes you're talking to like as comedians or performers a lot of times we're talking to an audience that isn't there you know what i mean like just on the way here i was listening over and over again to this story that i want to tell in san francisco on thursday and so it's very interesting there is a persona that you develop yeah. in order to speak to the the big the big other that is other people, right? So so that voice is often going through my head.
1: Well, isn't but, is that persona just a simplified version and heightened, obviously, but like a simple version where people can get who you are as a character?
3: Yeah, I think so. And I think that one of the problems with that, especially with Risk, with the show that I've created, is the goal of risk is to start peeling off masks, right? Mm-hmm, right. Is to uh, be yourself in ways that you're not used to being in front of other people. Be be yourself in ways that you might uh, ideally, you know, be in front of a therapist or your very close friend. You know, like, for example, um my husband, we're, we're, we're no longer together, but I... To me, it was very important to me when I was able to cry in front Mm -hmm. of him. Yeah, Uh, it brought you closer together. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And it was very important to me when there was a moment when he was able to cry in front of me. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, I'm someone who cries very, very rarely. Mm -hmm. So uh, very few people have seen it. You know, family members from, you know, when I was a kid, mostly. Um, But yeah, like, like... ideally what we're going for in risk is if you have a side of yourself, that's kind of freaky, allowing your freaky side to show or a side of yourself, that's kind of filthy to let that side show or a part of yourself. That's very spiritual or whatever. So, so the idea is like for a person like me, who's been telling stories on the show for now, seven years uh, it can be a little bit daunting because sometimes I think, all right, what haven't I revealed? Right, and uh, it, it actually gets scarier the further along you go. You know, you're, you're constantly looking for more things to reveal. Yeah, and, and and you you question like the longer you tell stories too, true stories, mm-hmm. the more you look back at some of your old stories and say, "Gosh, I can't distinguish whether that really happened <laughs> or if I just made some of that up." Like like it's it's. Because we do that naturally, right? I mean, whenever we... we You fill in the gaps. You fill in gaps, yeah. Yeah, Your mind just has to do that. Um, But every now and again, I'll have a sudden memory flash and I'll realize, no, that's not the way that went. Right. (laughs) And then sometimes I'll be like, oh my God, that's amazing for the story to admit I've been telling it this way, but I just realized this.
1: Does, Does that happen during meditation? Your memory no. improves. Oh
3: well, you know it's interesting. I my the advice that I'd give to people who plan on meditating is not to have hopes or expectations yes. around it. No agenda. Yeah. Yeah. the the more the more that I have given up on uh, expecting or hoping it. Like I, when I first got into transcendental meditation, I uh, picked up that book by David uh, uh, Lynch. Yeah. Uh, catching the big fish and you know the guy there's a guy who wrote a book called Transcendence which is he he's like uh, one of the lead guys at uh, TM yeah, yeah. uh and he warns people now you might read the book by David Lynch but just be aware not everyone has a lynchian sort of experience right. cuz he he describes it as the very first time he ever did it he said it was if an elevate I was in an elevator and someone snipped the cord and I just fell into an eternal abyss of bliss i'm like holy shit i want that right so you're, you're like when's, when's the when's it happening when's it happening yeah. right 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 it's right. almost like
1: googling your dates before you go on a date you
3: know <laughs> you have this oh they're this person right and you know he also says that a large chunk of moholland drive occurred yeah. to him while he was meditating oh but but no I, what I mostly get out of it is the heart rate slows. There are moments often that go, clearly go a little hypno, you know, Uh moments of uh, where a a bit of a dream just started to happen, you Mm -hmm. know, or that sort of thing. Um, But mostly it's, to me, it's just about calming down so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: When you're having this dream come up, does your conscious mind come up too? And it's like, oh, there's a dream I'm having, and then you're like, oh, shut up, conscious mind, get back to meditating. Uh,
3: a little bit, a little bit. But the more I've done it, the more I've found that I just, you know what the what the guy what the mahar the Maharishi used to say is innocently returning to the mantra, like like in other right. words, not. Yelling at yourself, right. or not, or not grasping back for the mantra, but just like observing, almost, yeah, yeah, just like almost care, yeah. with it, carefree, just returning back to
1: it, yeah, yeah. Getting back to risk with risk, what I think what you were saying was you're asking people to be vulnerable, yeah, and I think it's a really great thing that we're seeing as a, as a cultural shift, and I think risk is part of this, is that people. In the olden days, vulnerability was weakness, mm. and I think what we're seeing is like you can be vulnerable and still be strong. Maybe it's even a strength.
3: Yeah, I think so. I think you're absolutely right. I th- it's a very, it's a very interesting moment right now culturally, and that we're very much a part of is that the internet has given voice Mm -hmm. or has given a space for for a lot of people to express themselves in ways they might not have before. For example, like women are now very, very like, just have at their fingertips the ability to point out quite quickly, hey, so-and-so expressed this thing, and let us show you, let us, you know, like uh, deconstruct this and show you why it's sexist, right? And so that's really exciting and powerful. Yeah. But at the same time, it's obviously going to be very daunting to a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I always feel like the the everything good that that happens in a cultural evolution also has a dark side you know like for example um, yeah i was just
1: gonna ask for an example thank you that's great
3: have you seen the show transparent yes yeah the the scene or the the whole episode where they go to a queer women's festival Mm -hmm. and there's this very there's this almost like antagonistic and uh uh shutting out for, you know, they have to literally shout man on the land, man on the land when the people come, when the men come to right. get rid of the sanitation. <laughs> and it's, it's almost like a a, a panic. And, and and so the trans woman who's there, who is the lead character of the whole show is, they let her know she's not welcome there. Mm-hmm. And she says later in the show, you know, uh, I, I want to warn you to her daughter, who's becoming a good friend of one of these lesbians that attends this camp Uh, you know, it's, it's usually better. The people who are not so uh, militant, militant about dogma, you Mm -hmm. know? So, yeah, I I feel like, yes, the conversation is getting richer and richer as Mm. you know, the internet gives has places like risk or whatever, even Twitter and Facebook for people to like express themselves. Um, But at the same time, you see a lot of people like ganging up on like fet life is a perfect example uh-huh. in the kink community um where if if someone doesn't like especially a dom straight male a dominant straight male uh-huh. on fet life knows he can at any time be accused of not having given someone aftercare in a genuine way or having hit someone without the the exact sort of consent that someone wanted and a person like that can be made a pariah in the kink community like it it can just go blah, 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 like mob all mentality. the mom mentality can yeah. just go out of control and so there are cases like that where it's a little worrisome sometimes Yes.
1: yeah well you get to see human nature
3: <laughs> yeah it's you really do really just yeah. human nature <laughs> yeah you do you do but I am of the belief that more talking is is generally better than less, you know, that the more people express how they're really feeling about things, the better it is. Because I I do feel like, you know, our parents, or my parents at least, come from the 50s, you know, they were kids in the 50s, and very Catholic. Super Uh, buttoned up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know... They, there were just like sex, for example. My, my mother, sex, even the word "sex" itself is yeah. just like just, just like rings alarms in her brain. You know? Right, it's just not something to talk about. Is that religious or is it generational? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, um, in Catholicism, we were taught that the Blessed Virgin Mary was just like second only to jesus for in in importance and her what she was pictured as was silent submissive uh very much just taking care of things like jesus in the gospels himself Mm -hmm. on more than one occasion is rather arrogant toward her uh you know dismisses her yeah. says eh, who is a, who, who's my mother you know like as in it doesn't really matter right. and stuff like that and uh, she's unwavering you know she's she she'll, she'll never not be at his side you know that's very male, old school male
1: female relationships right
3: there
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you still uh following
3: Catholicism Mm-mm. no no. Okay, no. good. Now I know how
2: freely I
3: can. There's <laughs> something, uh, something I wonder
2: about, though. We talk about social media. We talk about shows like Risk, where people are more vulnerable more open. But is it making it to everyday life? Or is it just still, well, I have an audience so I can be vulnerable? So One, one thing I was thinking about, I, I saw um, this girl I've known for 20-plus years mm-hmm. talking about her social anxiety and it, how, how it's crippling. And it's like, I've known you for all these years. It's never something that's come up in conversation. Mm. Had you told me that, I can tell you about my own social awkwardness. And we could have been having much better and truer conversations for 20 years. She did it on Facebook? On Facebook. She yeah. talks about it. But it's like never something that would come up in conversation. Oh, that's like, I feel like, really like sometimes if you don't have some sort of, a, of an audience besides person to person, people still are closed off. That's a great point. Yeah, my
3: friend JC said that she had a relationship with a guy in college at Harvard that got really, really weird and hurt her for decades and then found out like through some sort of post that he had some sort of debilitating social anxiety and yada yada. Yeah, it's the very same story. Um That is fascinating that that you know you you hope that we're uh, like I, I am now doing this, for example. I have a a week or a, a day each month mm-hmm. that I make a point of being in a room with other gay men, just socializing, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I've realized, gosh, I've gotten so busy and so whatever that like I don't really commune in the way that I used to in my 20s with other gay men. And then you know, I want to start making a point of some making some other sorts of social things that I regularly Sounds really healthy make a point of doing because, um, yes, there's that. I I think that we are becoming kind of a little bit more interpersonally mm-hmm. disconnected.
1: I mean, it's sad that she feels safe posting it public publicly on Facebook rather than talking to a good friend. But my theory with people and social media is that. You see their fake face, but then sometimes you also see someone's really true self. Yeah. Because whenever someone's out, they're putting on a social face, but when they're
3: at home behind the computer, you could see who they really are. It's true. It's it's a it can be a little bit like alcohol, you know what I mean, mm. in that, you know, the inside comes out. Yeah. Like like at a risk show. The audience afterwards is going, or and even during the show, is incredibly supportive, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they'll have wonderful things to say to the storytellers afterwards. But then when we post that same show <laughs> online, people feel free to put on the comments pages, Ugh, I know the guy tried to commit suicide and all, but god damn is his voice annoying and yada you know people say stuff like that where it's like wow okay that's not that's very not helpful (laughs) (laughs) and would you ever say that to that person's face have you been there that night do you
2: think it's the same audience the same people that come to the show are they the same people posting it or are these people that would never come to a show and they're just trolls by nature
3: that's an interesting point i i would say that it's you're you're probably right you're probably right that that people who have actually made it out to the shows probably have much more of a we get it that we're supposed to be supportive of of whatever comes our way or just keep our mouths shut if someone rubs us the wrong way right whereas yeah a lot of people you know are just oh i also listened to these other podcasts and happened on this one and i want
1: to I'm interested in these social gatherings that you're thinking of doing. I think it sounds like a great thing, not just for you but for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of feel that way about this podcast. Like, I love getting people here. It's one of the few times I can talk to someone for a long time and in depth because everyone's really busy. Yeah. Um, I'm reading this book by Brian Grazer, and he has these like uh, curiosity conversations. He calls them. Uh huh. And he just finds someone that he's interested in, and he tries to get them to talk to him, and he just asks them all these questions, and this is how he finds things out. And uh, that kind of sounds like what you were talking about. You just want to commune with people.
3: Yeah, yeah, well, I find, you know, like, there, there, for, I'll give an example. There was a guy I went to who was a couple of years ahead of me at my high school, mm-hmm. and he reached out to me on Facebook, and he was like, hey, we should get together. And I could tell that he had started listening to Risk and yada yada. But I also knew that he was he was a gay man, and I also knew that he wasn't my type, so my initial the barriers came down. Right. I was just like, oh, he wants to go out on a date and yeah <laughs> well, it turned out that wasn't the case at all. You know, we got together, he was like, He's like, he, he made it clear, oh, I know, I listen to the podcast, I know your type. I just want, you just seem like really interesting to talk to. Mm-hmm. And we get together now on a regular basis just to sit down and chat. And it, it, like, he is very much like a free thinking kind of, he's an mm-hmm. atheist. And um, he has all sorts of interesting opinions about being perfectly happy being single as opposed to ever wanting to. What an alternate perspective. (laughs) So just sitting down and talking to someone like that can be really, it's, I can't say enough about it, how profound it can be to yeah, sit down and make an actual face to face connection with someone.
2: And be comfortable with that conversation and not like posting afterwards, like, oh, here's a snippet from the conversation yeah. I had, or like making sure that you post a picture with your friend that you just had. That, like, it's still, <laughs> for some people, it's still not a real enough moment unless the whole world knows that it has. That
3: is
1: this
2: entire podcast,
1: <laughs> that, <though.
3: laughs> It's true. It's like, it. Like, no, I mean, that's like, there is a positive and a negative side <laughs> to it. Like, today in my taxi cab, I, I, get, grab, I got in a taxi cab and. I noticed that the cab driver turned the volume up when he heard that Charlie Parker was coming next. And I said, yeah, you gotta love Charlie Parker. And instantly, all of a sudden, we're just like having this incredibly like, uh, he was very upset that some people like Coltrane and Sonny <laughs> over over Charlie Parker. So we got into this conversation. And afterwards, I was like, you know had to tweet about it you know <laughs> but part of the tweeting is like i'm like oh yeah you know part of this is just showing off that i know who charlie Parker, oh, right, right, you know right. what i mean yeah
1: <laughs> but it's also people connecting with you
3: yeah you can, yeah you
1: can kind of find a downside to almost anything yeah you problem. can
3: yeah it, well, that's what i was saying before you know that like there there is a potential downside to anything you know exactly. what i mean yeah it's it's it, and that, and I, speaking of David Lynch, I think his entire storytelling like gets at that same thing, you know, that there's, there is always darkness and light. Yeah.
1: And with the book, I could see it's danger because it's like, oh yeah, I want to meditate because I want to experience that bliss and write a brilliant movie like Mulholland Drive, <laughs> which is really not why you should be meditating.
3: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: Oh my goodness. What are you going to call these social gatherings?
3: Well, I called this uh, I, on Facebook. What I did is I just invited all every gay man I know on Facebook, uh-huh. and it's a private group, so it's called Kevin's Big Gay Soiree. They're
1: all like, Kevin wants to have a crazy orgy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
3: no, I make very explicit that it's just you know having beers at some bar.
1: Kevin's platonic orgy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right.
3: Um, and uh, yeah, who knows what'll happen with it? Mm-hmm. But but I do. You know, I I would kind of like I don't know like to make a point of doing more of that kind of thing. It's hard because the busier we get, you know. The, yeah. I, I I am interesting in what we were just talking about before. I am give it left to my own devices. I will be a homebody and start to isolate and go into introversion. You yeah. know. Um. I think that a lot of performers have a a complex relationship between their introversion and their extroversion. Mm -hmm. And I know that in the 12 years after the state broke up, I didn't handle that well. I I let stage fright and social anxiety get the best of me Mm -hmm. and spent 90% of my energy just searching for low paying, humiliating, uh, Jo- uh survival jobs like catering you right? Know? um and yeah really kind of like went off into my own universe most of the time do you think you searching for those late
1: low-paying survival jobs as you call it was a self-destruction or just a survival
3: mechanism no i think well it was definitely in my in my conscious mind it was a survival mechanism um you know i used to tell myself oh well other members of the because i was always comparing myself to the other members naturally of the state, yeah. right and i would say oh well several of them are um trust fund babies and a couple of them just have great connections to other people and yada 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 there were cliques in the state of course and and there's no such thing as an egalitarian democracy, <laughs> no. which we said we were, but no, there's always backhand deals and stuff like that. And I was always the odd man out. I was, I was the guy who was in his own universe, you know? Mm. Um, and that is a persona that I play up in a lot of my stories, you know? Right. And that I am that comedic character who's always like, what the fuck are we gonna do about him? You know what I mean, right, right? Right. But
2: do you think now, looking back, let's say from twenty-five years ago, when you were in college with the state, is your is it exaggerated in your mind that you were so separate and different from everyone else? And you can look, oh, you know, this guy or this guy, he was probably a little felt in his own world as oh, well.
3: God, yes. Yeah. God, yes. Mm-hmm. I have a different perspective now. Uh, like for example, the state has, has reunited, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was now, I guess a couple of years ago in LA, and we did a show, uh, it was, uh, Jack Black's, uh, he does a festival out in LA in the summertime. And so we spent a week rehearsing this show together and it was really fascinating to be able to sit back and think, oh, well now this person has really kind of changed and, and is, is actually, more compassionate and more, I don't know, thoughtful. And and this person is still kind of fucked up. Have you, have you stayed in touch throughout the years with <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, we're all very much like, we still, we have an email chain that mm-hmm. is just nonstop silliness, yeah.
1: One thing about friends, and when you've known them for a long time, is like some friends will allow you to change and evolve.
3: Yes. And some
1: friends won't. They're like, "Oh, you're like this." I'm like, "I don't think I'm like that anymore." Oh my
3: god. I I, I deal with this. I think I can talk about it pretty openly with JC. Uh-huh. Um that uh, J- JC is the producer of uh, of Risk mm-hmm. and the uh the business mind behind the creative mind behind it. She's yes. the business mind behind it. And so we meet every day on Skype to go over emails cuz the just keeping up with emails is insane. Um and uh, she has taken on this sort of dominatrix sort of role with me. You know what I mean? Like, like a, <laughs> I like that this is coming out now. <laughs> I, mean, I thought I was, I thought I was to this. <laughs> <laughs> that she, you know, is is constantly like slapping me and saying, "Pay attention, get your act together, get things done," etc., yeah. cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but you know, we, we talk a lot about personal stuff too, like diet and exercise and all that kind of stuff, and when I did, uh, give up drinking, start trying to eat a lot more vegan, start doing this meditation stuff, I started to, well, actually, things weren't ruffling me quite so much. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't having that, you know, like, I would. She would say something that I would normally, you know, be like, "You shut the fuck up! Just let me do what I'm trying to get done here, or whatever." And she'd say that same sort of thing, and I wouldn't react that way. Mm-hmm. And she would be like, "Wow, you must be really struggling with it." And and or, or I'd text something like, "Oh, I shouldn't have got my hopes up so much about this date I was just on." And right. she would she would text back, "Always so negative and yada." And I'm like. No, no, I was literally just healthily (laughs) saying I shouldn't have got my hopes so high up. You know what I mean? I do. So friends develop these patterns of Mm -hmm. kind of enjoying your foibles and your flaws and like poking at you. Mm -hmm. And when you do start to evolve, that can make friends rather uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, it's almost like having a beginner's mind with friendships too. Yeah. You know, just like letting people evolve and keep taking a little step back. Yeah. It's really annoying. I have a friend that she will not let me just be who I am now. And
3: mm-hmm. it's almost I'm sort
1: of like, ah, I don't want to, that was me 15 years ago. If I want to hang out with you as that person, you know? Yeah. Forget that. Yeah.
3: It's that a, is interesting.
1: Yeah. With a lot of things, it's important to uh, kind of keep that open mind about, you know, it, it really pertains to the meditation and pertains to friendships. It's
3: easier said than done, you know, like, I went into a podcast recently, and um, a it was, it was all about kink, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it was with a guy and a girl, and the girl was uh, half Asian American, right? And uh, at the end of the interview, she pulled. It was we were like, "Oh well, is that the end of the conversation?" Yeah, yeah. When then she pulled out a piece of paper. And she's like, "No, actually, I have one more thing I'd like to bring up." And it was basically, aren't you creepy for admitting in your stories that you have a preference for Asian men? Oh. Isn't that fetishizing and objectifying Asian men? And if you were heterosexual, mm-hmm. uh, would you be able to talk that way? Uh, and it was it, – it, it was – I was like, "Did it rub you the wrong way?" No, no, it was that was like, "Oh my gosh, this is so exciting that this, that we can tackle this topic." Mm-hmm. But the energy, the vibe that she was giving off, like a gotcha, exactly. Yeah. It it was kind of as if. The disc, the framing of the issue, right. she was wearing a pair of glasses as to how we were going to talk about this. It wasn't an open ended. I was on the defense. She put you on the, yeah. put yeah. you on the stand yeah. there. So it was, and that I think is like, I, I heard this talk by Krishnamurti where mm-hmm. he was talking about how, on more and more, like probably ever since like Gore Vidal and, and William F. Buckley, when people do get into conversations on TV nowadays, it's usually not like an open-ended, let's see what insights we can gain. Might you be able to tell me something I had never considered before? Right. It's, I've got my agenda. Mm. Let's see uh, if I can get you with with the filter I've it's got. It's more here. of a debate than a conversation. Yeah, yeah. And that, I think, you know, I've heard a lot of people uh, into, you know, the uh, this i've been studying this stuff called three principles lately mm-hmm. and a lot of the people who study that talk about listening for insight rather than listening for adding to what you already believe and know you know what i mean yes yeah yeah,
1: yeah that's uh very important and we see that a lot with
3: fox news people drawn oh, to it yeah yeah well the, what what is so interesting about that that about Mm. the political discourse in the country is that's another place where we talk about the internet like allowing people to be in these bubbles yeah like especially like in the past year or so discussions about race um people from people on the left like uh, myself who are just you know who Or maybe, like, for example, I come from Cincinnati, Ohio, which is extremely segregated, right? Mm. It has a history of racial tension. And, in fact, one of the horrific uh, police killings was there there last year. Um, But I, I... People I know from, from my, you know, grade school, high school will respond to some of the things that I post about Black Lives Matter in a way where I'm like, what universe are you living in? And the answer is they're just living in the Fox News bubble. (laughs) Yeah. And, and Cincinnati. Right. Right. (laughs) It's just I'm living in another universe too. I'm living in a universe where I'm constantly hearing about Black Lives Matter. Yes. And, uh, you know
1: new york left liberal yeah, yeah.
3: So, so when when people like respond in such a way that like they completely don't seem to get mm-hmm. what, what what's going on uh it, it it can be rather disheartening and shocking to, to their credit like, though at least they didn't block you i
1: have a lot of friends on facebook that block everyone with an opposing opinion yeah I don't... It's
2: it's also weird. I mean, anyone that knows you, Gary, anyone that knows you, Kevin, shouldn't be surprised that you're liberal. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone that knows anything about you and your lifestyle and what you do for a living, Kevin, knows you're an open-minded person. Right, right. Like, how are they so outraged that you think that black lives matter?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that it's just that in that echo chamber, and we have our own echo chamber, but in that echo chamber of the right-wing propaganda machine... Yeah uh people are just fed this emotional sort of emotional talking points where they're they're just they can look at a video of a cop shooting a 12-year-old kid playing with a toy yeah. and just be like well yeah obviously he shot that kid who wouldn't you know and you're just like wait wait what <laughs> it is
1: amazing can you tell uh can you tell us what those three principles are of the book you read? oh uh,
3: yeah yeah uh what happened is in we went to toronto last year and it was a great show great audience it's a great town mm-hmm. and uh I wasn't present. I was caught up doing something else like uh talking to some fans after the show and a fan came up to JC and said, "Can you deliver this to Kevin?" and it was a book called The The Inside Out Revolution. Mm-hmm. It's by this guy named Michael Neal and it's really it's really kind of interesting cuz there are two main people who teach this these principles. There's a lot of people now, but there's two main People that uh, seem to be... Teaching the three principles? Yeah. Okay. They are this guy, Michael Neal, and this other guy, George Pransky, who is an actual... He's a psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. but Michael Neal is just a self-help guy, self-help guru. Um, What happened was, in in around about 1974, this Scottish welder (laughs) in the rural countryside of Scotland... Hey, Um, Jesus was a carpenter. Who knows, right? (laughs) (laughs) He was having a conversation with a friend, and the friend said, oh, Sid, you're not insecure. You just think you are. Mm -hmm. And that one sentence created some insight for this guy, Sid Banks, this Scottish welder. And he started having a series of insights and started jotting them down and called them the three principles. Mm -hmm. And... The whole thing that's kind of unique about it is it's never been trademarked. There's no school. There's no practice. There's literally nothing to do. It's just a conversation this guy started, and they'll tell you, no, no, you're going to want us to say you have to do these things. There's nothing to do. We're just talking, and you walk away from this conversation and have whatever insights you might have. So there's an
1: opening for a cult leader here.
3: Yes, yes, exactly. Like like Michael Neal I think has done pretty well with his book and all. But but even he constantly repeats this stuff. But yeah, that's true. Like any call any good cult leader would say like, you know, like AA this is not a religion, you know. Right, like right. every time I would go to an AA meeting and they would just repeat over and over this is not a religion. It's mm-hmm. like hmm, they 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 really doth protest (laughs) a lot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, here's what the three principles are. Um, That there are three phenomena Mm -hmm. in life that seem to add up to how we experience life. Uh, The principle of mind, the principle of uh, consciousness, and the principle of thought. And here's here's the best way I can describe them. Mind, the idea there is that there is something greater. There is some creative intelligence that makes your cuts heal, mm-hmm. makes a baby know how to work their hands after a while. Something more intelligent than the conscious mind? Than the individual's conscious mind. Right. Yeah, like there is some... Um, there's something bigger, you know, whatever you want to call it. You could call it the unified field, like David Lynch does. Right. Some people might call it God, whatever it even is. You call it
1: the muse, you know, when a, a brilliant idea comes to you. And
3: Absolutely. Where would that come from? The, the way that uh, Michael Neal has described it is this— um, you might not be able to see the sun shining because there might be clouds in front of it right at that moment, Mm -hmm. but it is always there. It's always bigger than you, and it's always giving to you some bit of energy. You are connected to it. So that's kind of what the principle of mind is, that there is a bigger creative intelligence that you're a part of and can tap into. That's kind of how I think about the muse.
1: That's like, I, I know she's floating around all the time, but I have to make myself available.
3: Right. You have to kind of, um, uh, I guess, be present, you know, to, to like, leave an opening. Yeah. My, my, my therapist says, unclench. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because once
1: you try to be like, oh, there's the idea, then you're conscious of it and it goes away.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it's similar to what you were saying before with trying to get back into meditation, which is like a would you say a relaxed?
1: Yes. Well, just observe, but don't quantify it. Like well, when
2: just, you were saying like when you, you, you're almost losing your connection to meditation to not consciously push yourself back into it. Right. I forgot what term you used, but just to sort of just like, don't get mad less, at yourself. A less focused way of just letting your, yourself be open and let the, the muse come to you.
3: Well, what, what, what a lot of three principles people say is that y- you, you think you don't have. You think there's something wrong with you. You, you, or you might tend to. You might tend to think I could be doing better. I could accomplish more. Um, there are things I, I I'm not good enough at, and yada yada yada. And the way Michael Neal puts it is, there's nothing you need to do. There's nothing you need to be. You have complete and total well being already deep inside you, and that's mind. That is that bigger thing that you're connected to. That ultimately, if if you can quiet down your mind enough in meditation, you're tapping into this place of well being and clarity and the the original source. Right. You know uh, that that is always good enough. That always has plenty of energy and vitality and creativity and Mm -hmm. all that so that's that idea the irony is is that
1: when if you get there you will become more productive
3: yeah right right well presumably uh, yeah i I mean i think that 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 or, or, or or if not more productive at least more um clear yeah, like like, or or may may you might not be getting more done, but you might be getting more quality stuff done. Right. You know.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right. People that practice meditation usually say they it makes them more productive. Hmm. I guess you less scattered
2: about things and just more focused and, and needing mm-hmm. less distractions in your own life, whether it be right. substances or TV or whatever it is. Oh, if you're, God. if you're happier with yourself, you need less of the other distractions, you can get more done. Because That's a that yeah,
3: that I love that idea. That yeah, that that well, okay, let me get on to the other principle. Yes. Uh the second one is consciousness, the principle of consciousness. And this one is that there is a phenomena uh in our lives where we have this thing called consciousness, which allows us to experience, which allows us to entertain thoughts and have feelings. The way he puts it is, well, I'll get to the third one. The third one is the principle of thought. Mm-hmm. And that is this unending kind of parade of uh conscious thoughts little Mm -hmm. things that where you literally think to yourself holy shit did i leave the iron on and oh my gosh you know like that that constant monkey mind little sparks going on right and there's the kind of unconscious thoughts like you can like be in a funk or something because of i don't know some generalized thought about something Mm -hmm. right so The idea when you put thought and consciousness together is that consciousness is what enables a thought or generalized thought to start to occur to you as feeling and experience, right? So it's kind of like consciousness is a projector Mm -hmm. and thought is the film. And the film being projected onto a screen is having the experience. So the point is that you we are constantly kind of creating our experience because we think we think life is happening to us from the outside in that we're seeing stuff and we're reacting to it in fact we're we're projecting onto life what's on our insides yes yeah that our thoughts are creating our experience of what we're seeing um and All that needs, if we leave room for a new thought, we could be having a completely different experience in the flash of a second. So the three principles is not saying think positive. Mm -hmm. It is saying simply be aware that whatever you're thinking is not reality. It's Mm -hmm. just a thought. Mm -hmm. And you will be having a different thought a little bit later. It's just a passing thing. And... The more you become aware of that, the more you develop an ability to step off of thoughts that aren't serving you, Mm -hmm. right? So the more you realize, oh, there is always this bigger mind within me that I can calm down and kind of plug into and realize everything's okay and I have a place of clarity and peace and evenness and centeredness to go to, then... Whatever it is that's running through your head, it could be something incredibly traumatic, Mm -hmm. you know. Like, you know, it's not saying that, oh, your mother was killed in a car crash yesterday. That's not reality. No, I mean, that happened. Right. It's just that how you're thinking about it at that moment is determining how you're feeling about it. You know what I mean? And you can always step off a certain kind of thought leave room for a new insight mm-hmm. or simply or simply realize okay i'm having these kinds of thoughts i'm probably going to continue be having these kind of thoughts throughout the day uh because my mom was just killed in a car rat you know what and, i mean and it's okay to feel, and it's okay yeah. yeah 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 this is not forever and it's not necessarily reality that life is this way because my mom just died but is it
1: saying that the way you're feeling is the way you're seeing the world like oh if you you, you know there's this self-help thing of like think like a rich person spend freely like a rich person
3: <laughs> and you'll be rich <laughs>
1: which is how you end up poor <laughs> oh, yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah no oh my god i my uh my brother and sister-in-law were um gotten to the landmark forum uh uh-huh, yeah which is big into uh living in luxury or living 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 with the luxurious mindset or whatever right and uh, that did not go well for them Yeah, <laughs> it's really dangerous
1: there is a some some truth to it like you don't want to think like a poor person but you want to be rational and reasonable with your finances oh absolutely
3: you know? like my 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 father used to say you know everything you, you take everything with a grain of, of uh, salt you know my my sister-in-law who has a shopping habit mm. is not the person to be hearing that message from yeah. the landmark forum she's you know like, like i, I mean. found my Bible. <laughs> 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 yeah it's really dangerous yeah so so basically um at the end of last year I read a lot of this three principles stuff, stuff by, and downloaded a lot of. A lot of it is just lectures. Like George Pransky mm-hmm. is really great because he talks very slow and has kind of a Boston accent and is kind of just like he just. It feels like you're listening to your dad, uh-huh. you know. A very calm guy. He warns you at the beginning of every lecture. I talk really slow.
0: But it helps
3: things to sink in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, It puts you in that meditative state too, I would imagine. It does, yeah. And what I've actually done is I created a um, – and I, I don't know how much I believe in this or not, but I created a self-hypnosis tape for myself of it uh, where – there's a there's a book called instant self hypnosis which gives you scripts that you can read and mm-hmm. you can record yourself te- saying these scripts and then you can so it's a, it's a hypnotic induction and then i just wrote out a bunch of three principles ideas like um that idea that you know the sun is always shining even though the clouds might be in front of it or you're always you always have complete and total well being, or you, did so, you
1: record these with your voice and you just listen back to
3: yeah, it? Yeah, and then I just lay back, put on headphones, and uh, you know, let myself fall into a hypnotic induction based on my own voice. And then there are these prompts from three principles in the middle of mm-hmm. it, and I'm hoping that it's having an effect. Well, on so, me. yeah, it's like reminders or affirmations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. I'm I guess you could say I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. Not uh, if it's
1: benefiting you.
3: Yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. I mean, I, I, I've de- I, I will say one thing. I, I was just talking about my sister-in-law being having a shopping thing. I'm that kind of guy at the self-help section of the bookstore. You know what I mean? <laughs> Buying like, all the yeah, books. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like uh, I've done enough. I bought the book. That's it. <laughs> and Amazon really encourages that because you see one title, you know, and you're like, Oh my gosh. Well, here's another one that got yeah. even that's on a similar theme and got a lot of more, you know. customers also bought this yes exactly exactly
1: it is a grow it's the most growing
3: section in the bookstore is the self-help section yeah which 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 is a little bit sad i I guess you know it's it's one of those double-edged swords that we were talking about it's a little bit sad because it makes it feel like we're becoming more and more desperate to get uh, a sense of well-being right like like i like
1: or are we just more curious in working on ourselves
3: It's true there are a lot of people that express that this feeling like that whole the, the idea of the age of Aquarius do you know this that, that um, one of my favorite authors uh, uh, of author, uh, fiction mm-hmm. authors is uh, Robertson Davies, who died in the seventies. Mm-hmm. But he once did a uh, a lecture to a, a, a commencement speech for at, at the University of Toronto, and he said, "You know, Robertson Davies was such a wonderful author because he was so interested in um, arcane stuff in the history of theater and magic and." Jungian psychology, yeah. the tarot and all this. He just loved all that kind of stuff. Um, but he said, what a lot of people don't know is that astrology, as ridiculous as it seems and as, uh, you know, just laughable as it, as it is when you read like for, fortune-telling horoscopes and everything, Yeah, what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, it is actually a sort of a spiritual tradition that... Precedes, you know, the great religions that we that we know today, Mm -hmm. and some of the mystics way back when, you know, they laid out that every two thousand years you're in a new age, right? So uh, when Christ was born, that was the beginning of the age of Pisces, and then in the year two thousand we crossed over into the age of Aquarius. But the age of Aquarius was, according to the mystics way, 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 way back when, going to be this incredibly precious uh, era of transformation, these mm-hmm. 2,000 years. W- were they right? And the, Well, the theory is, yeah. the theory that they had was that the age of Aquarius would begin with tremendous uh, turmoil because outdated ways of thinking— uh would we we would we would start to want to break out of those you know Mm -hmm. they would not be like the old religions or philosophies would no longer be serving us so well or ideologies um and 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 we would want to kind of break out of those shackles the the tarot symbol for the beginning of the age of aquarius is the tower falling (laughs) so in 2001, we, we see right at the beginning of the age of Aquarius, we are like filled with turmoil. We are very upset about old religions yeah. and old ideologies and what the hell is going but on. Can't you
1: say that started in the late sixties,
3: seventies? Oh, absolutely. I think all of this stuff is like has gathering gathering storms right. and yeah 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 and there was that hair musical that,
1: the, <laughs> right, right. the dawning of the <laughs> age of
3: aquarius right, right. <laughs> they were trying to jump start it i yeah. think <laughs> um but no but the theory then the mystics said was mm. that human consci- ultimately in the age of aquarius human consciousness would leap to a higher level the mind the 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 collective consciousness would expand somehow that it was, that it would be time for new ways of thinking and that we would become much more connected. Some uh, the brotherhood of man would become much more connected somehow. And that technology would play, that our own inventions uh, would play some sort of role in all of this. It's so interesting. that's how Robertson and Davies put it. And I think that a lot of people, when you do talk to like, um, when, when you hear from people like the physicist David Bohm mm-hmm. uh, or Eckhart Tolle or people like that, I think a lot of those people are hoping that there is some truth to that, that that we are, uh, that the self-help section of the bookstore is not just, oh, we're all kind of desperate and distracted, but that in in actuality we are hoping and trying to open up to and trying to invite new thinking
1: what what i'm seeing is like the technology has brought us together in a ideal in an ideas way like people are all harping on ideas but i think it's made us more lonely because there's nothing like human connection and yeah. interaction in the physical form yeah. you know like being with people physically yeah you know chatting with people on facebook is never going to replace that
3: no no and and you know well, you know what's kind of interesting though is that Skype comes a little bit closer. You know yes, what I mean? Yeah. Like I w- one of the things that I do on I'm not a daily basis, but pretty regularly is that I train people in storytelling one-on-one over Skype. Mm-hmm. And so that'll just usually be an hour session where someone from some part of the world is calling me and telling me some really revealing story about their life and then we chat about it for you know an hour and you always do it video yeah mm-hmm. and i always you know end the session when i hang up i feel a little little bit like well that was a really nice part of my day i feel a little bit more
0: connected because i shared
3: with yes. that with that person there
0: yeah hey i'm ryan reynolds at mid mobile we like to do the opposite
1: yeah you're getting that you're seeing their face it's not quite a tactile experience but right
3: right 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 and you know there is something to be said for uh something caught on video doesn't give you the full effect of what's really going on with someone's body language or in their eyes or that kind of you know what i mean it's, right. it's still kind of like
1: it's way better than a text <laughs> yeah that's for sure even better than a phone call yeah
3: yeah, yeah.
2: but yeah it does when you're in person with someone you can see like oh that person's there they're fidgety they're moving their hands and you the other person can be sensitive to that that's it absolutely it true is, that's, that's that, it. because yeah. i've done i've done
3: therapy before where i couldn't be in town at that time with my therapist and we were on the phone mm. i have never done it with skype where we were looking at each other but i was hyper aware during the phone call that we did together Oh, is he cleaning his house right now? Yes. You know what I mean—that kind of thing. Where, it, yeah. It, it, yeah, there's definitely a distancing thing.
1: I've done video Skype with therapists, and it's there was something really beneficial about doing it in my bed. So this is like in my comfort of my bed, and mm. I'm having a therapy session. It's very unique. It's very different than going to her office. You know, you got to deal with the world, and then you get out, and you're like, "Oh my god!" And I have the world—something ah! <laughs> kind of nice about that. Yeah, I think there's a whole opening for therapists to do
3: that. Yeah, I, you know, as far as is—is is the age of Aquarius just hopeful thinking? You know, are, are I, I think we're all constantly wondering that sort of thing. Like, are we? Are things getting better or are things getting worse? You know, right? Like, for example. If Trump were to win the presidency next year, I (laughs) think you know we would all be having a very hard time being like, "Well, this is just a thought, you know." Let's see, everything's okay. Well,
2: from our side, but from those people's side, to be like, "Shit, yeah, Kevin, (gasps) things are getting a lot better." (laughs) 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 That's
1: a scary thought. So, um, a lot of people. I mean, you've you've had you had success at an early age, and then you kind of dip down and do catering and odd jobs and stuff. And now you're experiencing a greater success with risk. Did this meditation play into that at all, or your or spiritual awareness or awakening for a heavier word?
3: Uh, yeah. When I first started risk, I was, you know, not drinking, but I was still smoking a lot of pot. And I, I wasn't really engaged in meditation or anything like that. I think that kind of what happened was um, I found my footing. You know, risk, when I first put it together, I was kind of like penniless and started with zero, you know, started like using credit cards to get some of it done and all that kind of thing, the mm-hmm. way that people often do. Mm-hmm. Um, but once, you know, it was around for, I don't know, a year and a half or two years and JC came on and it start, we started to put together a, a, a well-oiled machine. Um, I think that what happened was about maybe three years in, I started to feel like, okay, then I, you know, I can start not resting on my laurels, but, but, uh, Oh, I don't know. Party a little bit more. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So I started smoking more pot, going to kink events, stuff like that. And then, then started drinking again. Uh-huh. Yeah. In 2014 and through, uh, the beginning of 2015, I was drinking again. I, I thought, in you neg- know what?
1: In a negative way, drinking?
3: Yeah, well, here's the thing. I thought to myself, okay, I hadn't had a drink in nine years, when, when wow. I, I, yeah by 2014. So, you know, I was very aware, hey, I started risk not drinking, right? So, you know, not drinking might've really created some space for that to be able to happen. I was smoking pot, but not drinking. Um, uh so in 2014 I thought, "Hey, let's see. Now I'm in my 40s and now I I'm I've got a business that's actually working. I've got steady income yada yada. Um let's see if I can drink moderately now." And <laughs> I think that I, th- I what I think what I think I said to myself consciously was I give it a 30% chance. I'll probably <laughs> yeah. have to, like, cut it off again. You're a gambler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and somewhere in there, I got my therapist, you know. So we went back and forth of, oh, like, I, I thought of joining one of these moderation groups, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's something called, I think, moderation.org, and there's another thing called HAMS. Um, where people come up with their own programs, they're almost like AA groups, but mm. they but they're there to help each other, like keep it keep it alcohol ish
1: a, anonymous. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
3: Um, but no, I mean, what I found is that what they say seems to be true, at least in my case, is that it does seem to metastasize. Mm-hmm. Um, you go like. Like, when people get clean from from heroin, for example, they'll go 90 days, their body kind of recalibers, Mm -hmm. then they fall off the wagon and have heroin, and they want to have as much or a little bit more than they had the last time, and boom, their body is not ready for it, right? So when I started drinking again in 2014, it was not, I'll have a beer, it was yeah, let's have three vodka martinis to get this thing started. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it was right to drinking you know, at, at the heaviest state that it had, had ever been.
2: You Did started you, at 2 a.m. and not 9 p.m. <laughs> <yeah, t>. <laughs> Did you feel like you were trying to, like, make up for lost time of not drinking?
3: Um, I felt, you know, I do have to say that
0: it was
3: Fun at first, you know. After nine years, it was fun to be drinking mm-hmm. again. But what happened was, and, and and I did it at a kink event, by the way. Like it was, um, you know, I, I was definitely doing it at an a kink event at a big hotel right down the street from the Capitol building in washington
1: was it something you decided before you went there
3: or was it just no, in the moment no it was in the moment mm. see which is not the way to do things you know like like yeah. like like you know it's in this most kink events happen out at camps where you're you know outdoors nature and you know you if you want to go somewhere else just go take a walk in the woods or whatever you you always have that option this one was in a hotel where the bar mm. was, like, the place where things were always. It, that was the hub for right. meeting anyone or, or talking to anyone. Yeah, I got it, got it. And so the bar was just booming the whole weekend. And I was like, ah, what the hell? Let's Let's have a martini, you know? And at first, it really was fun to be back. But what happened was it kind of stopped being so fun. You know, I, I, I like it kind of stopped being so fun and problems I hadn't had before were happening, like blacking out. I remember, uh-huh. you know, um, the, like the second to last time I decided, no, no, this has to stop. I became conscious in a cab and knew I was on the way to an orgy, right? Uh-huh. And the conscious part of me was like, OK, you were just like blacked out. And then, you know, you spent a period of time not knowing where the fuck you were or the, who you were or whatever. Now you're conscious enough to realize, oh, yeah, I'm in a cab. I'm on my way to an orgy, which is the wrong place to be going <laughs> at this level of consciousness. Right, right. So I did have the wherewithal to say to the cabbie, turn back around and take me back home. So that was good. That was like, that was a very scary, like, you know, gu- good thing. I didn't get out and then start blacking out. I've at
1: never it. heard of someone coming
3: out of a blackout the same day.
1: Usually, <laughs> It's like the next day you wake up, you're like, what the
3: hell? <laughs> well, then the next, the second to last <laughs> time was I had a guy over, we had brunch together. I decided, ah, what the hell? Let's, you know, have some, like, it, it Lately, it's been, the the times that I've fallen off the wagon have been holidays, you know, Mm -hmm. have been like, well, it's Christmas, or it's, you know, whatever it is. Uh, And this was one of, I don't remember what holiday it was, maybe Labor Day or something like Mm -hmm. that. And I had a friend over, uh, and it was going to be, we were going to have sex and everything, but i woke and this was in the afternoon that he came over like you know two o'clock in the afternoon i woke up at like 1 a.m uh turned upside down in my bed you know not the way i normally sleep in my bed and was like whoa what the fuck i don't remember anything after coming home from brunch with that guy i texted him and he was like yeah uh there's a bunch of towels thrown in the corner cause you vomited oh, no. and he's like, you were a mess and I just had to go.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> has someone, has someone ever videoed, videoed you in a blackout? No, not that I'm aware of. Watching yourself back while you're in a blackout is horrifying.
3: <laughs> oh my god.
1: Just like seeing yourself when you're like I don't remember that at all. That's me, but I don't remember. That's fascinating. It's really it's really weird, yeah. yeah. Alcohol is the str- one of the strangest. It's really the only drug I've ever known to blackout on.
3: Yeah, you know, you know, I think I it, it really it's fascinating that it does not have the taboo that even marijuana has, which is rather tame by comparison. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, and the uh, one of the things that that a, people in AA say, which I think is, I think ultimately, like this is the thing I've got to remember and remember and remember, is people who don't have a drinking problem don't have to. Th- think about it right like they can have a drink or or they can take it or leave it right it's right. it's they don't spend it, they don't have thoughts occurring to them all day long of should i drink tonight i'll have 3 tonight or wait ah uh, maybe a little earlier than you know like that's me when i'm drinking they're is, not battling is, that demon they right don't I'm, have that. I'm thinking about it you know several times throughout the day and yeah yeah it's, <laughs>
1: that's how you know that's a problem <laughs> yeah that's it uh alcohol has never been a spiritually enlightening experience
2: for anybody i don't think <laughs> at, the t- at the time you think it is <laughs> like oh my god yeah, <laughs> this is everything it's great uh, socially and, until you wake up opposite with a pile of towels. <laughs> yeah, to right. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, yeah, I think that 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 is one of the things that I, I regret about having to give up things because you're right. It is fun socially. You know, mm-hmm. it does help people to become more uninhibited, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I do find for me personally, and this is not the case for a lot of people, but pot works all virtually the same way for me, is that it, it like, like I was talking about hanging out with fans after risk shows. It takes you out of a show. It 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 kind of stupids me up a little bit uh-huh. in a way that allows for a freer <laughs> yeah. flow of conversation. Yeah. That might sound strange, but I do tend, and usually, not always, but usually, um, I do tend to have like a, a, a bit of social anxiety. Sure, when you have I'm, a dialogue going on. Yeah, when yeah. yeah. And, and you know, like, oh, is this awkward right now? Or uh, am I supposed to say something? <laughs> and blah, 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 blah. That sounds like stone thought, actually. So it's, it's <laughs> happening opposite for you. Right, right. Yeah, yeah well, it's, kind, it's, it's the same way with vertigo. Mm. Vertigo, I sometimes suffer from vertigo where I'll be wobbly on my feet, dizzy nauseous and all that marijuana is the thing that grounds me like dramamine that kind of stuff doesn't work Uh it's marijuana that makes me feel like i'm centered i can stand up and walk in a straight line across the room it makes it starts to make me feel normal again that is great (laughs) (laughs) that's really great to have that yeah yeah so the the last time i had vertigo I was in Colorado, Mm -hmm. and and it was so funny because uh, I and JC was with me, and I was like, "No, we have to stop by a dispensary before I get on that airplane." And I was able to buy some, you know, like medical grade uh, candies,
2: Uh and the flight home was just fine and dandy. Or did you bring on the vertigo so you can just right? <laughs> it? Like, it? Well, I told myself I'm not going to buy it anymore, but I have vertigo right now, and I can get it right over there. That is a JC idea. <laughs> Believe
3: me, she has said, are you going to start having these episodes? Like, literally, like, and I wouldn't put it past my unconscious to be able to do that, you know? Yeah, rationalize
2: anything. Oh, my God. So if, if you're at a show and someone doesn't offer you pot afterwards, you're like, ah. <laughs> my fans suck god damn it (laughs) st louis i I came all the way out here (laughs) (laughs) um
1: the the spiritual thing um like i've never done the ayahuasca thing but i have a friend who like lives by it and i have a problem equating a spiritual awakening with any sort of chemical interesting yeah i've
3: tried it twice Mm -hmm. and neither time has it worked and here is my theory uh i was on cymbalta and wellbutrin the first time i tried and you know i took like three days off of them before doing it but i don't think that was enough and i was on just wellbutrin the last time i tried now wellbutrin is supposed to not be as bad at getting in the way of but it's
1: it's a beta blocker right what it'll well butrin blocks those things that
3: make you maybe anxious or paranoid i guess so and and, and that might that might be a, a big yeah well it, it, the second time i did it it was uh-huh. definitely a thicker more sour more like felt like oh this is more like the real thing mm-hmm. um but I had, you know, I was still on Wellbutrin, even though I'd been off it for three days, and I was like, "No, this is not doing it." So I wrote to the shaman, Mm -hmm. and I said, "Is it the Wellbutrin? Should should I try this after getting off of that?" Because I'm kind of the opposite of what you were just saying. I like, I I I totally get and respect, and maybe you're totally right, and maybe I should uh, adopt that attitude, but. I've heard stories from people who have done ayahuasca where it just sounded, it just sounded like that particular drug, and and some people just on acid or oh, yeah. or, or mushrooms or, or peyote or whatever. That absolutely has changed my life for sure. Yeah. Acid, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mushrooms specifically. Mushrooms, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah where yeah well yeah my first hallucinogen that i ever did was mushrooms and that was back in college before i had any antidepressants or anything
1: that's the thing i did it very young too and i'm not sure if it's the drug or just it's probably it was definitely the drug but um i was also very young and it opened my mind to like it felt like the next day i was like oh everything is different now
2: yeah it
3: it 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 because, for example, J.C. is mm-hmm. someone who has never had a drink, never smoked pot, I never know. never had a cup of coffee. Um, and Strictly heroin and crack. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, but I always feel like, oh, man. I mean, I know that I'm not a good example because I keep having to give up things. <laughs> but when it comes to those more profound drugs like uh, mushrooms or ayahuasca or stuff like that, I re and my therapist totally agrees. My therapist is like, no, I whatever. If you want to be doing that about three or four times a year, I highly recommend it. You know, mm-hmm. um, so no, I I I know I'm. Some people also say that ayahuasca is temperamental about your psyche. You mm-hmm. know, some people theorize that ayahuasca is like no. You're grasping too much. You're too needy. You're, you, you've are you got too many hopes and expectations about what this is going to bring So you, it won't work so for I'm you. So I'm not dealing with you. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. You're not ready. Sorry, I'm not going to work for you. Exactly. That's how they put it. That's how the Peruvians put it. Okay. Um,
1: but— well, that's nicer than being like, oh, you're not ready. I'm going to fuck your world up. <laughs> I'm going to give you the worst trip ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the first time
3: I did it, the first time I did it, I'm waiting in line. It's five o'clock in the morning. And everyone looked like I said in the story I told about it. Uh, yeah. All the yeah. women look like Joni Mitchell or Joan Baez. <laughs> um, so I'm talking to a girl who looks like Joan Baez. We're waiting in line for the bathroom. And I said, is, is it unusual that I've had three doses so far and I don't feel a thing? And she said, well, are you a raw vegan? I said, no. She said, oh, if you're not a raw vegan, there's too much of a holocaust ha- happening inside you right now for the medicine to want to have anything to do with you. That's.
1: <laughs> I, I don't think mushrooms would... Uh, I can't imagine any drug being yeah. like, oh, you are you have meat or anything. It's, or, you have a dairy product. Sorry, I'm not going to work.
3: I do want to go back to this shaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, in fact i'm thinking of i mean now now this is not the only reason i want to get off wellbutrin i i want to see now that i'm becoming you know now that i've got meditation now that i'm you know have put drinking behind me now that i'm like you know i'm just getting more and more unstable footing mm-hmm. i'm curious to see if i can get the antidepressants completely out of my system mm-hmm. and I would love to, I mean, maybe, you know, like, I think I might know the friend you're talking about who who regularly does ayahuasca. Uh Um, and, uh, I mean, I I, 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 I don't think it would be necessary to be doing it on, you know, every month, but I do think it could be a good thing to do, you know, every few months. I think what, what happens with those, my understanding is that what happens with those kinds of drugs, um, is that they open a hell of a lot more of the synapses in your brain. Right. So that there's a lot more – the neural pathways through which thoughts and feelings usually flow, suddenly there's just a lot more possibilities there. And when that stuff opens up like that, it just gives you the um, opportunity to, oh, I don't know, have some new thoughts or uh, experience things on a slightly different plane – and I don't know. I just, I love that idea. Um,
1: does it give you that uh, connectedness Connectedness you get, like, from mushrooms or acid? You feel like, oh, everything's connected. You see the life in the chair. I
3: don't know, because I haven't experienced ayahuasca. Uh, you know, I haven't experienced it actually working. Right. But I'm kind of assuming it does. I'm kind mm-hmm. of assuming... Uh, because i've heard people talk about you know like looking at the moon and then suddenly feeling like they are the moon and and then they're you know involved in a conversation with it or what the one thing that i've heard consistently from people who do ayahuasca is that there there is often a conversation mm-hmm. right uh that you uh end up uh, speaking to some sort of spirit or or just not maybe not literally speaking but like in your mind you're, you're – you're having a debate or, or a uh, teaching session with some sort of spiritual guide. Mm-hmm. The, one of the funniest uh, stories about that that's been on Risk is the guy who, he's an older guy, and he goes out to Colorado, and he does peyote, actually. Uh-huh. But um, it's an, it's a Native American shaman who's leading him through it. And uh, he's, fi- he's like, this isn't working, this isn't working. And then he finally throws up, and he's like, you know, because you're supposed to throw up at yeah. one point. And all of a sudden he just hears, <laughs> you dirty rat. Yeah, yeah. Coming from the, the room, what he thought was the room next door. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, my God. It, the guy walks, he's, he sees it. It's a gangster from the uh, 1940s. Uh, specifically, the the character Tommy Udo from Kiss Me Deadly. Uh-huh. It is the guy who, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, but he throws an old woman down the stairs yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a wheelchair. Um, so he's like... Oh no! My spirit guide is Tommy Udo. <laughs> <laughs> was it his
1: spirit guide or was it his
3: demon? Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. A lot of people will like, uh, you know, it's the Blessed Virgin or something, and then other people like have to. The first story like this we ever shared on Risk, it was <laughs> a woman who dealt with this voice that was just like, "Kill yourself, kill your, you like," so it was right. like she. Uh, she She got through the experience and considered it incredibly traumatic. And then during the circle the next day, she said to the shaman when everyone was like waking up the next morning, that was, that was pretty terrifying for me. And she said he barely reacted. So she like drove away from the whole experience being like, God damn, fuck that. And then like a couple months later, she realized that, nothing was ruffling her anymore like everything was just kind of like water off her back and then she was like oh Mm -hmm. i faced the worst thing i had ever faced like i faced some sort of demonic kind of voice telling me to kill myself and refused to give into it and everything ever since has been like hunky-dory. <laughs> yeah. That's
2: That sounds so
1: similar to a friend of mine, who, his experiences. He saw little devils mm-hmm. leave his body and they were facing him and he could see them as clear as day. And he described them to me, these devils. And the shaman saw the devils too. And the shaman was just like chasing the devils away with a drum and he's banging the drum and he's yelling things. And my friend was like, get away, he's like fighting the devils, and they left. The devils just, they literally just ran away. Holy shit. And he said that it's changed his life.
3: It's like he he just purged something. Did, now, did he have a conversation later with the shaman where the shaman said, yes, I, I saw yeah. those devils? Yeah, yeah. well, that's an interesting thing about, if you ever read the electric kool acid test, mm-hmm. um, LSD is known to do that, where if, if people partake of the same batch of LSD, they will have the same hallucinate. Shashi Musso shared that story where everyone in the room saw someone's head fall off and roll, roll down the floor.
1: That makes sense to me. It's like mind meld. Yeah. You know, like that. And when improv groups get together and they do a mind meld, they all start saying the same words or, and I can imagine it's even vastly improved when
3: you're on hallucinogens. Yeah. So I do, you know, as much as I would love to say, I mean, uh, my relationship to substances mm-hmm. is it's a love hate relationship you know like like i there are some like alcohol that and poppers that i'm like no i really need to put those totally behind me um there's a part of me that thinks, oh, it would be better to just be able to meditate my way toward better inner health and peace. But who's but, got the time? You're right. I mean, <laughs> no, exactly. There's a part of me that's like, no, no, no. Let's, <laughs> like, I do. I, every time I've done the ayahuasca, I felt like, oh, was I? Was I too much, too graspy and greedy for like, you know, the, let's have a eureka moment tonight? It's
1: like you're trying to lure, lure a friend in or something.
3: Oh, my God. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, using these things is like tools. You know, you're using pot as a tool. You're using ayahuasca for a tool.
3: And 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 it's really uh, difficult to, or 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 to just make sure that you're staying in that realm. You know what I mean? It, uh, you walk a you walk a tightrope. You walk mm-hmm. a fine line between using it in a greedy and sort of addictive and sort of compulsive like give gimme 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 way and using it in a more sober um
2: i don't Conscious. know open oh, yeah, yeah yeah sort of way
1: yeah i could tell the difference when people drink to escape or drink to just like relax and have a good time with. oh drugs. for sure for sure yeah with any
2: drug really yeah yeah that escape thing is like ooh,
1: there i know yeah, that i think
2: it's when oh, defines like oh he's a good drunk or a bad drunk yeah you know, the the, the so called good drunks are the people that are just using to enhance what they already got, and the so called bad drunks, are the ones that all the bad stuff's coming out, yeah, they're escaping, yeah, but they're messy
1: some people could be jolly drunks great oh I, that
3: I'm a jolly drunk for sure for sure and and this story that I'm working on for risk right now is kind of a, a shows some moments of that you know like uh in in, not not so much that that guy recently that i was talking about well uh, i think
1: that says a lot of good about you that when you're totally inebriated you're at least a good person
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh yeah no you're right it would it would be but another thing about that is people who might be jolly drunks a lot of them are you know rather nasty when sober Mm. right that's always fascinating is to Mm -hmm. hear from people who are like well dad was always okay as long as he was somewhat drunk you know what i mean
1: well are they nasty because they're not drunk and they're just having a bad reaction
3: yeah no probably probably the 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 because i do think that alcohol well all of these substances. i think all of these substances uh change the weather of your um, emotions, you yes. know. That that that's why I felt that in my late twenties when I was smoking tons of pot, drinking tons of alcohol, and experimenting with all kinds of drugs, I felt like, oh gosh, I mean, the weather in my so- heart and soul is just all the fuck over the place. Yeah. Because of, you know, uh it's a stormy sea of various substances. You're going up, then you're going yeah. down, and you're going, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: there's a lot of people that are just taking pharmaceuticals now and i could sometimes tell if someone's like really up and down i'm like oh they're probably have a subscription a prescription to kolanopin or something
3: yeah yeah i think we have to be really careful about that stuff
1: yeah especially when your doctor prescribes it and you're like okay i'm making myself better because my doctor said so yeah yeah the pharmaceutical thing is a whole new issue yeah
3: we covered a lot. We did. We did. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if we solved anything. Oh,
2: no. That's good. That's what we have more to talk about. Great. Um,
1: I don't think we missed anything.
2: <laughs> I, I just wanted Thank- to address uh, Kevin's, uh, the way he objectifies Asian men. <laughs> just one, one more thing I wanted to cover here. <laughs> nice. Well, well, the
1: answer to that is on another podcast. <laughs> there you go. Kevin, thanks so much. Thank you, guys.